0: Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is Kurt Flewelling. This is for Mister Producer. I'm very animated today. Very animated. How about that? He's telling me I got to drink more coffee and start waking up and slapping people. So could um, have a V8. Yeah, could have a V8. Um, well, they did it. Um, they impeached the president. Um, Wow just i I can't even synthesize all of this down for you guys in an hour. It's just I got a thousand notes here, and i could I could do it any number of ways I could go uh chronologically um when all this started and what kind of happened and blow through it that way. There's plenty of people doing that, and if you want me to I will and i I think I kind of will a little bit but um i I don't know i I might just pick up random little pieces of paper and notes and just kind of go off and it'll seem very you know tangential but um, it might make sense to somebody I don't know I, I just can't even um, I can't even get my head around this I, I really cannot and, and uh, as I stated several shows ago I, I know quite a bit about politics but I'm a very poor prognosticator I remember back in the day I thought Hillary Clinton would never run for Senate and she did and I um, I, I thought this was a lot of um, bluster on Nancy Pelosi's part, and I didn't think there's any way she would go through with this. Um, and I didn't even know what it looked like or was going to look like and still kind of don't. But um, they did it yesterday, and um, the, uh, the tally was Yay's 230, nays, 197. And our friend Jeff Van Drew from uh, – Neighboring state of New Jersey, um, Colin Peterson of Minnesota and Jared um, Golden of Maine, um, he, he kind of split. He voted to impeach Trump on the abuse of power, but not on the obstruction of Congress. So those were the defectors, and um, Hawaiian representative Tulsi Gabbard, uh, presidential candidate as well, was uh, another that voted present, which was kind of, um, kind of interesting. Um, read into that what you will. Um, I I think the best way um, I will kind of go chronologically uh, over some of the things that have happened, but uh, I think the best headline I read to really describe this whole mess, this whole sad, twisted, dysfunctional, unfortunate mess was uh, from Representative Van Drew, um, who the democrat party all along he's in a he's in a district in new jersey that is very very heavily republican and um you know there there are he says here um he moved over to stand on the gop side of the aisle wednesday for the historic impeachment votes um so um you know the 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 presumption is he's going to be a republican now which is interesting but it says here Representative Van Drew ahead of expected party switch compares the impeachment to how third world countries operate and um i think that really does encapsulate this whole thing very nicely um we have a very long history in this country um two and a half centuries of procedure, protocol, rule of law, decorum. um, And all of those things really went out the window at warp speed during this whole process. And uh, Representative Van Drew is correct that this is how things operate in third world countries where the minority party is given no deferential treatment whatsoever. Um, Dictators, despots, always try to get to that magic 51% by smiling and looking good and and promising anything. And then usually within the first, you know, couple months, maybe half year of their regime, they're very benevolent uh, as far as benevolent dictators are concerned. Uh, Bashar al-Assad, um, in comparison to his father in Syria, when he came out of the gate several years ago, people are like, wow, this is... This is good. It's a. It's a. It's kind of a kinder, gentler dictatorship, if such. Mm-hmm. If anything, uh, if such an animal w- were to exist, but true to form, eventually, the crushing reality. Once they get up to about a seventy percent popularity um, amongst their people, then the crushing reality. Starts to hit that this is not a democracy or republic or anything that resembles that, and it is indeed a dictatorship. And um, in many of those countries, second and third world countries, they, you never get a vote again. Uh, the vote doesn't doesn't happen. We do things, or at least we used to, a little differently here in the United States. Um, but what's the, the most troubling thing for me is um and and the game really started to change at warp speed during the Obamacare debate um, eight or nine years ago. I can't believe it's that long ago. but um the um where simple majorities uh, were were used to do this is and that's, and Harry Reid threw out all sorts of rules and regs in the Senate. Um, when you start, Getting to the point where you're not very deferential to the minority party, as as we were in this country um, during the Nixon um, uh, resignation uh, scenario, and the in more recent years, the Bill Clinton impeachment. Um, if you're not including the minority in on the process, if you're not respecting the Constitution, the rule law protocol um, principles, uh, time tested uh, principles that that the the Congress has had in place, then you get what we got um, very recently and and it it, it, really, it really is a chilling prospect that if we can get to fifty one on anything, we basically have a mobocracy and we don't we don't have what um heretofore we did have in this country and a uh, case in point i mean if you look at the the two aforementioned um scenarios uh i, I mean or three if you want to count andrew johnson andrew johnson um violated a criminal statute okay uh richard nixon obstruction of justice clearly a felony saw the writing on the wall and as they say had the decency to sweat, uh, which Bill Clinton did not have. But um, he beat um, his opponents to the punch, and he resigned. Bill Clinton, perjury. Uh, perjury is a felony. Um, this president, love him or hate him, has not done anything in the, in the most recent Ukraine um, saga or since the time he uh, took office that even approximates anything that would remotely resemble um, uh, a whiff of of a crime or something, uh, abuse of power, as they say. The two articles are abuse of power, which is extraordinarily broad. And the second one, obstruction of Congress, which is really, um, I mean, that, you know, look, if, if you want to be a partisan and – um Vote for his impeachment on abuse of power. It, it's broad enough, and they did make enough stuff up that maybe you could entertain that. But obstruction of Congress, when you when you have to make something up out of whole cloth like that, that really does clearly illustrate one of two things, or perhaps both, that um, the general public and Democrats specifically in the House either don't understand. Are, uh, have a very basic working understanding of our three branches of government, or they're willfully ignorant and and um, with the notion that most people don't understand the three branches of government. It's probably more so the latter, but it could very well be both. Um, obstruction of Congress, that's not even a, a real thing. It, it really, it, it, it can't, it can't, um, it, it, it just does not exist. We have co-equal branches of government. Um, you most certainly can obstruct Congress if Congress is um, doing what Congress did in the case of Donald Trump. Um, they were asking for uh, people, members of his cabinet um to come and testify in a kangaroo court, and they were asking for documents and all sorts of uh, papers and this is and that's, um, and if if the president has a problem with that and he is obstructing Congress, he has every right to do that. Um, that's that's what is meant by co-equal branches of the government. The executive branch should do just the judiciary and the legislative branch are all equal, so and it happens not only uh, seldomly, it happens quite regularly in Washington where one branch has a problem with another branch. What do they do? They go to the third branch, which is the judiciary to decide if the executive branch is correct in wanting to hold back those documents or or telling um, members of his cabinet, no, don't go down to Adam Schiff's kangaroo court, that's ridiculous. Or if the legislative branch, um, in this case, Adam Schiff and and the hearings that he conducted, has every right to compel Donald Trump to do those things. So um, the second article is, is absolutely absurd. And either, again, either that is known, and it is just made up and nebulous by design, or they know probably that the average person um, didn't know or couldn't grasp what I just laid out in the last 30 seconds. Um, So we have remedies for, for impasses such as this, and tension actually is a good thing. So one branch of the government does not start flexing its muscles and become more powerful than the other branch. And th- this is, you know, I'm, I'm going off uh, on a little bit of a tangent here, but I, I recall when I, I was doing quite a bit of public speaking, um, the six months up until the election in 2016 and people, you know, um, if you're a Donald Trump fan, you may hate me saying this, but people weren't too excited about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. And the one thing that I heard over and over and over again um, the primary reason people were were voting for Donald Trump was the judiciary um, which if you look in the news just about every day uh, his judicial nominees and and uh, people that have been approved all all across our land from dog catcher up to the Supreme Court are really shaping this country in a way that they were never really intended to shape but, just because they're dominated now with some some conservatives, conservatives seem to be happy about it. But the whole process is not a good one, where nine men and or women in robes are deciding things, thumbs up and thumbs down, or probably more problematic being uh, legislators from the bench. Um, I recall, you know. Um, Years ago, uh, just chronicling during the Obama administration. I mean, the the, um, the Democrats have been quite active with impeachment. Uh, probably not much else as far as uh, work is concerned. But during the Obama administration, it was it was literally the legislature was watching a ping pong match between Barack Obama. Um, and his executive, or his unconstitutional executive orders, and him basically legislating, or or uh, making edicts, um, declaring law without any uh, formality in any way, shape, manner, or form, and then the judiciary legislating their butts off from the bench, and it was almost like a ping pong match. the 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 true where true legislation should. Um, spring from the legislature, it wasn't happening, and they they were basically kicking their right to do that, their their duty to do that down the road, and and watching the president make laws and and declare laws, and watching the judiciary, uh, you know, make up stuff out of whole cloth and legislate from the bench. So, um, when we have a check and a balance of co-equal branches of government again um donald trump was well within his right to uh to want to not um or to tell his uh, associates in the executive branch not to to go to this kangaroo court or not to hand over documents and if and if he was in error the judiciary should have been um called into play and then they can you know as i said before decide the way it is now, and um, I'll go a little further than Mr. Van Drew as far as a third world country, the the court, the way uh, it was conducted under Schiff, is almost a Soviet-style court. Um, that's how they do things in the former Soviet Union where you are guilty until you're in it, uh, proven innocent. And you really don't have a lot of um, say, and and or nor does your lawyer, as far as who to call, as far as witnesses are concerned, and um, it's very very chilling. So, um, you know that that's what we have here, and and you know it kind of dovetails into, um, you know where we're at now, where we have Nancy Pelosi, who doesn't even want to send the articles over to the Senate. Now we can. Speculate all day long what what she's up to there, and I, I think she just wants to drink in her victory a little bit, um, and um, because a, a vindication of Donald Trump in the Senate doesn't really do her any good, or her her constituents, or her rabid. Um, uh, mob-like, uh, uh, you know, Democratic colleagues that that are demanding Donald Trump's head on a stick. I mean, the last thing you want to do is knock all the air out of the balloon by um, by having the Senate summarily um, say that there there's nothing to see here and the man will not be removed from office. So she's kind of dragging her heels on this. Um, uh, from what I've heard, um, they can move to either a trial or a, um, a quick dismissal without her sending over the articles, but her not immediately sending over the articles um, is is very much apropos and, and very much um, in inconsistent cons- in, in to what she has displayed throughout this thing, which is just, abject, bizarre behavior, uh, behavior that is only probably understood by people that vote for her or people that think like her. Um, And as much as I'd like to move on to some other aspects of this, I, I, I cannot get off the I'm praying for you, and this is a solemn moment, and the conga line of her and her colleagues quoting the United States Constitution and quoting our forefathers, when in reality, you really don't have to be a political junkie or uh, pay attention very much to know that her and her ilk um, have, in their personal lives, in their um, mode of governance or their legislative record, has basically uh, had nothing but disdain for the holy word of God, so her saying, I'm praying for Donald Trump, and this is a solemn moment, and I just pray he sees the light, and it, it's really, I, I'm, I'm not going to go as far as, as perhaps I, I could, but I'm just going to say, you know, that solemnity that she seems to uh, be bringing to this whole thing is a crock to anybody that can, can walk and chew gum. And it's, it's not only that, it's extraordinarily offensive. There are people in this country and many people in this audience that revere God, revere the word of God, rever- revere um, the, uh, the act of praying to a God. And they also revere our Constitution and our forefathers, for that matter. And for her and her colleagues who have nothing but... Disdain for those three entities to during you know as they smell Donald Trump's blood in the water, start uh, quoting the Bible, talking about how much they're praying for Donald Trump, um, uh, talking about the uh, quoting the Constitution, quoting our founding fathers. It, it's not only unbelievable and and laughable but it, but it's more than that. It's extraordinarily offensive. And, um, you know, as, as the word of God says, every knee will bow and, you know, you have before Jesus Christ. And I mean, if you have a party, let's just look at the Democrat party in the state of New York in the legislature, cheering, clapping, when a law was passed that basically sanctions infanticide If a, if a baby, if a woman goes in for a very late-term abortion, and the baby, uh, by the grace of God, makes it, um, they are allowed to off the baby. And I hate to be really graphic and, and flippant with my words, but that's what it is. Um, heretofore, they were a little bit more humane, where they just did not provide the baby um, uh, medical, uh, care. And if you talk to, um, uh, some of the nurses that were, um, uh, involved, uh, Judy Stanek, I, th- I believe her name was in, in the, uh, infant born alive act. Um, she will tell you of, of, of practices where these babies were put in a closet and they would, the nurses would go to render assistance to the baby. Um, the, the, the baby that survived the, the abortion and they were not permitted to, um, use the uh, the skills God gave them to save life. they were just supposed to sit by idly by while the patient or excuse me the baby died. The legislation in New York goes even further to, um, than that, meaning not only can you not render um, assistance, but you are permitted by law to finish the job that the the doctor was the, set out to do. And in a world where that is um, cheered by people with D's next to their name, and there are people with R's next to their name that be- believe in abortion and look the other way on abortion as well, but the example I'm citing is in the New York legislature. For those people to say that they're praying for Donald Trump and and um, that they have a, a respect for the rule of law and life and all of this stuff is, is profoundly offensive to not only um, Christians and evangelicals and, and those wacky church people on the right, but it's very much offensive to a lot of people that aren't even religious and they aren't even far to the right. They may be in the center. They may just be average uh, taxpaying, hardworking people. They're not ideologues and they don't really think about these things too much. But cheering in the Senate or excuse me, in the legislature for, for a law like this, and then having the same people say stuff like, you know, my prayers are, are with, uh, with Mr. Trump during this, uh, solemn time. It, it's, a, it's a crock and it's offensive and it's horrible. And, you know, I, 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 I don't agree with, um, my, my, uh, colleagues on the right that, that Get any glee out of the fact that these people will die and have to face Jesus, um, and and explain some of this bizarre behavior. I, I don't take any solace in that. I'm not happy about that. I'm I'm profoundly scared for these people because they know not what they do. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to to know the principles of God and who God is, and and to do things like this, and that's that's bad enough. But these people are absolutely so clueless to who our sovereign God is, when they do things like this, they they legislate in this manner, they they in in, in a form of governance, govern in a certain way. And then they they trot out the Bible to make a point, or they they trot out that they blow the dust off their constitution if they even have one. And and then they they start quoting founding fathers, which a couple days ago. Almost every one of them thought was just a white racist uh, reprobate. But now we're we're quoting Madison and Jefferson and all of this stuff. It it doesn't fly. It is it is um, it is inconsistent with uh, who they are as people. And and they're not fooling too many people by doing it. And uh, before we go to the break, the um, you know, the whole black dress thing was just so contrived that um speaker pelosi um you know put the black dress on to to hammer home the um the uh you know the solemnity of the moment if you will and uh i i'm not so sure that the out outburst of um clapping or or cheering when the deed was finally done was not contrived either to make speaker pelosi look like she was above it all when she when she shot a look at um you know her colleagues for uh, breaking the solemnity of such a solemn moment. This is Kerflewelling reshaping America. We will be right back. We are back reshaping America. Got the energy. Program director told me to bring some energy today, so I'm bringing energy. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I, I can kind of briefly go over how we got here, but I'm telling you, it's if you're into all the juicy details and you want to be here three hours. Um, that's not happening. I, I'm. This is going to be the 100,000-foot version. Um, if, if you want to, and I will quote this um, numerous times in the next few minutes, uh, a really good way to understand what um, happened, how we kind of got here and what happened yesterday uh, would be to listen. Uh, I'm sure you could Google it, and then there's audio all over the place, or video even, of um, Senator McConnell's comments uh, in the Senate this morning. Um, It runs about 30 minutes, but it's really worth the time to do it. Um, Typically not a huge Mitch McConnell fan, but uh, if if you are, as as me and Mr. Producer were were talking on the break here, you know, the, the average public, you don't really, I mean, some very intelligent people don't really know a ton about this. So, regardless of where you are um, intellectually, where you are as far as your proclivity to uh, to pick up uh, politics, or or something you dig, or something you hate, or you're just working two jobs and you wish all these idiots would just go away, <laughs> any anybody on the spectrum, I would I would highly urge you to do that. Um, just Google um, uh, Senator McConnell's comments, and you'll find on YouTube uh, the 30 minutes of that. It's it's extraordinarily educational. It's, it's rather um, rather simple in nature to understand. Um, may be very educational and informative for you if you didn't know some of it. But it does um, it does give a very nice concise overview in 30 minutes of what's really been happening for several months, if not years. But we, we will kind of do a big flyover now. Um, you know, uh, I- as far as the Ukrainian thing is concerned, um, we can't understand the Ukrainian thing until we go back to the famous Russian um, uh, meddling and the collusion. And it, it's it's just amazing the, um, the buzzwords that were thrown out and when they don't stick. They get replaced by new buzzwords, Um, uh, quid pro quo didn't work. We replaced that with bribery. But um, if you want to trace it back to its origins, um, there are, and I I will kind of lift some quotes that Senator McConnell from his speech this morning. There there were people gunning for this president as far back, believe it or not, as April of um, or excuse me, of April of 2016, um, he hasn't even Donald Trump has not even procured the uh, um, the uh, the nomination in April of 2016, and there were people talking about impeachment at that point in time. But where this really ramped up was when you know the shot heard around the world kind of happened that night in November of 2016, and it became apparent, and it was really fascinating because I I was watching it, uh, as were many of you, and I just, you know, I was very tired and bleary-eyed, and I wasn't a good math student, but I I try as hard as I can to, you know, I'm a junkie of these things, and try as hard as I can to write out all the electoral college scenarios, like, okay, 271 to 266, or maybe it's 288 to whatever, and as the states clicked off i something as you guys recall kind of happened that was very interesting probably around um 11 to one thirty, the world just stopped and it didn't really matter if you were watching fox news or cnn or msnbc or whomever nobody was giving any more numbers, Um, and the the numbers were in. They they certainly were in in, in a day and age where even when the Democrats hold back all these votes um, in uh, Cuyahoga County and and various other, Cook County, various other places across country, you know, the states that were out, they could have very easily reported, and and we weren't getting any numbers. So they were all kind of in disbelief that this thing was happening. And really, from that point in time, People were starting to say, how can we get rid of this guy? Which... Is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, quite believable if you know the characters that we're talking about, but quite unbelievable in a first world country, the United States of America. Stuff like this, as Jeff Andrews said, this this happens in third world countries where when they're fearing that somebody is going to win before the election even starts, they take his legs out or whatever, take his family out. Um, That stuff's not really supposed to happen here, but um, so- when he was um, elected in the fall of 2016, months before he was inaugurated, um, that's when a lot of this stuff went into motion. And and when people reported on that at the time, or six months later, a year later, um, they were labeled as right-wing kooks, all this um, the steel dossier, and people didn't even know what the steel dossier was, and um, it, it was... It, it, Later on, the Inspector General blasted the Steele dossier as as ridiculous and was quite critical of the FBI um, lying to a court to get a FISA um, uh, which which is, is something that, if you don't know what a FISA application is, they're they're applying to be able to investigate. um in this case, it was Carter Page to see what he knew about Donald Trump and his um, dealings with the Russians and if the Russians were involved in our election process. So true to form, Hillary Clinton and her minions could not go off into that good night and accept defeat. It had to be that Donald Trump stole the election. So that's where Russian collusion was uh, was born, but you need you need something to kind of start the investiga- investigatory ball rolling. And that's where many people feel that um, Barack Obama is is not clean in all this. Because in order to get the FBI and the CIA to, to move heaven and earth to get these uh, FISA things going, you really had to be pretty clueless not to be aware that that stuff was going on. So a lot of people lay uh, a fair amount of blame at Barack Obama, but this is all unbelievably prior to Donald Trump's um, inauguration. And then, if we if we fast forward to some of the things that, um, to give you a little bit of an understanding without too many details of what Mitch McConnell was talking about this evening, uh, or excuse me, this morning, he he chronicles with dates some of these things that were said uh, April of 2016, as I said before there was a reporter that quoted impeachment is on the lips of pundits constitutional scholars reporters and many many congressmen and women now how in the world could impeachment be on the lips of so many people that are influential in steering this thing one way or another um before the guy even is nominated as the republican um you know candidate to run for president i mean this this is literally seven months before the election, and people are talking about impeaching the guy. On Inauguration Day, uh, January of 2017, the Washington Post um, runs a headline, the campaign to impeach President Donald Trump has begun. Um, (laughs) April of 2017, um, many uh, congressmen and women Declare um, they are going to fight every day until he's impeached. I mean, what could he possibly have done in the two and a half months on the job to, to warrant this much hatred other than the fact that Hillary was money in the bank, she didn't um, become president, they were angry? And as I've said on this show numerous times, and I'll say it to the end of time, and the conservatives don't buy it, but it is true, they don't hate him because he's conservative. That may be an incidental or a secondary or tertiary reason to hate Donald Trump because by executive order, he has implemented um, things that conservatives would cheer. He certainly has appointed um, uh, uh, judicial candidates that were would are certainly conservative. So I, I will agree with that. But they hate his guts. And they're making statements like, "Um, I will work every day till he's impeached as as soon as two and a half months into his presidency," because they realized pretty quickly that he punches back. he fights the way they fight, and they hate that for decades, if not centuries um or at least a century." uh, Republicans, um, go blah, blah, blah. They stand up in the village square and they sound all tough and conservatives until they, they get collared. And in the back room, the Democrats, even when they're in the minority, tell them to shut up, sit down, and this is what you're going to do. And the Republicans dutifully do that. And there's a couple exceptions here and there, but, um, they realized pretty quickly that Donald Trump was not going to do that. And when they realized that, that when they punched, he punched back. When they punched again, he punched back. When they made it up, he called them out and said, you're making it up. When they realized that this guy was not going to uh, lay down and be your quintessential Republican punching bag, that's when they, um, as as the quote here says, they would fight every day until he's impeached. Um, December of um, 2017, Jerry Nadler on the campaign trail, he promised, I'm an expert on impeachment. If you elect me, um, I will do what I am trained to do and qualified to do to make sure that this guy is impeached. Um, a lot of people didn't know this, but it's it's noteworthy. Um, the impeachment process in the last 12 weeks was was not the first time that the Congress has has tried to do this. This, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, and this is in um, Speaker McConnell's uh, speech that I I do urge you to listen to because it's very instructive. This is the seventh time an article of impeachment has been forwarded in the Congress. A lot of people don't know that. Um, Some of the reasons people have um, grandstanded and said that this guy should be impeached, um, he was impolite to the press. He was mean to professional athletes. He disagreed with Obama's policies on transgender individuals. All political things, if you ask me, certainly nothing that rises to the level of anything Bill Clinton or Richard Nixon did. But um, that's that's where we were. And, and and this is all well, well, well before any of this um, Ukrainian stuff happened. Um, even hit the hit the news. Um, when Adam Schiff uh, starts to preside over this kangaroo court, he cuts the minority um, party completely out of the process and strips the president of his rights. As we indicated before, the president being the head of the executive branch of government has every right in the world to defend himself or tell his surrogates or colleagues in the executive branch, no, don't go over to Congress and say anything to them. Um, he has every right to do that. And if if someone doesn't think he does, then that gets ferreted out or fleshed out, I should say, in the judiciary. So Schiff puts an end to any of the president's rights, uh, cuts the minority uh, party out of the process. And if you compare and contrast that, as Speaker McConnell does this morning, to how long it took um, with Richard Nixon, They were, before Congress got anything, that was a slow drumbeat for one year of legitimate um, investigation, a litany of witnesses, cross-examination, all sorts of things before it was going to go to Congress for a vote. And then, as I said earlier, Richard Nixon just beat them to the punch and resigned. In the case of Bill Clinton, it was about 14 months, and that was... Pretty deferential because if you if you know any and a lot of our, our listeners are are very young and they don't know this, but you know in, in 1991 when he started campaigning there were no smartphones there was no internet um, Al Gore invented that a year later but they um, there was no 24 uh, seven news cycle like uh, Fox News or anything CNN or TBS was like the first game in town to. Uh, CNN was doing twenty four seven news, but that was they were in the young stages of that, and those of us that were kind of political junkies, we knew what a moral reprobate Bill Clinton was, and despite all the aforementioned um, technologies that pretty much get people up to speed as quickly as they'd like to be up to speed, everybody knew of of Bill Clinton's indiscretions and his the, his illegal this is and that's. So that for that fourteen months was pretty amazing because there was a lot of other things going on the first six years of uh, of Bill Clinton's um, first term and then second term. And uh, But even though there were special counsels left right and crazy and they really couldn't keep up with Bill Clinton, they still waited 14 months until um, an impeachment debate started in the House. And as Speaker McConnell said this morning, this whole process – started um and finished in 12 weeks 12 weeks and this would probably be a good time to quote jim jordan and you know as as much as all this is hard for people to understand that aren't political junkies they just want to go to work and pay lower taxes and watch their kid at soccer practice and pick up the dry cleaning and have a meal out once in a while Jim Jordan, pretty much as Speaker McConnell did in his little 30 minute speech um, gave a little four point synopsis, and he has been doing this for a couple months and he he calls it four facts that never change the first one being there was no quid pro quo um, the smartest thing Donald Trump ever did was release the transcript of his discussion with President Zelensky of Ukraine. Um, Again, a classic example, and I, I don't want to reduce this thing to a game because it's really not a game, but Donald Trump checkmates the Democrats almost weekly. It, it, it's pretty frightening how easy it is to get them to to go into a corner and, and get them to do what he would like them to do. So I, I don't think Donald Trump ever wanted to be impeached or wanted this whole thing to to go on. But if he knew they were gonna make a big deal about it, which he started to know, releasing the transcripts was probably one of the smarter things that he did. So there's a release of the transcript. The transcript clearly indicates there's no linkage of an investigation to security assistance in the form of money to Ukraine and any investigation of the Bidens or corruption. There's just no linkage in that transcript. Um, the second thing, both guys that are on the call are swearing that there is there was no pressure exerted by the United States or specifically Donald Trump to um, have a quid pro quo set, um, situation whereby you guys start invi- um, investigating the Bidens and maybe we'll release the money. Um, both parties Uh, involved here say that that didn't occur. Thirdly, according to Mr. Jordan, Ukraine didn't even know, and this is a big one, didn't even know that the aid was withheld at the time of the call. So, if there's no quid, how can there be a pro quo, if you will? Um, The Ukrainians did not even know that the money was being withheld at the time of that call. And fourthly, President Zelensky... um, after the call is not announcing that he is now going to start investigating the Bidens or he didn't even start an investigation of the Bidens um, to get the aid released. Um, he just he didn't do those things. So those are the four facts of the case, the Ukrainian um, scandal, if you will, that in the words of Jim Jordan and I agree with him, they they never change. Um, they just never change. So there is a lot of nothing here. And the fact that in twelve short weeks, this guy um, is impeached is is absolutely—it's um, just absurd. It's breathtaking. It's ridiculous. But probably for me, the the, the biggest emotion that I'm feeling is sadness. Um, I stated several times on this show, I'm not a Donald Trump sycophant um, when he does things wrong and. He's done a few things wrong in the last couple of days that I I wanted to chronicle here. Um, I'll call him out on it, but it, you know if, if if this miscarriage of justice happened to Barack Obama um, falsely, um, I would be just as concerned because we cannot be weaponizing um, the uh, the impeachment process just because we have disdain for the American electorate because they didn't pick our person. So um, this is very troubling. It's very, um, very sad in nature. And, um, you know, it's just a sad day. You know, it's many of those things that I describe. but my biggest emotion is indeed sadness. So we're going to go to a break. Uh, On the other side of the break, I'm going to kind of chronicle what what do we do now um, if Pelosi um, does or does not send over the articles to the Senate. There's a little bit of debate among conservatives as to what they would like to see done and what they should do, um, and those two things are not one and the same uh, in a lot of people's minds. But we will discuss that a little bit further. On the other side of the break, this is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. We will be right back. We are back, Reshaping America, winding it down, last segment here. Um, But yeah, before I get going on um, what do we do now in the Senate, Uh, Mr. Producer did uh, bring up a couple of very good points that I thought were interesting. You know, I have have said, like, what in the world is obstruction of Congress? It's not even a thing. And um, if it is a thing, the president certainly has every right to do it, um, comparing and contrasting against uh, obstruction of justice, which is quite different, but it was it was phrased that way on purpose. But um, mm-hmm. Mr. Producer uh, chimed in and had a very thoughtful comment: "Isn't a veto an obstruction of Congress?" And in a way, it's not completely analogous, but it is. Um, you know. It, Right now, if if Congress believes that Donald Trump did something wrong and Donald Trump says he didn't do anything wrong, he has every right to obstruct Congress and the judiciary is the deciding factor on that. Um, Donald Trump being at odds with Congress is very similar to him being at odds with Congress on a, a piece of legislation that he does not like and he vetoes. Um, the, the, the distinction is... If it does go to the judiciary in in um, in terms of uh, the current problem obstruction of Congress, it it seems to be up for debate. Uh, you know, and and the judiciary will will decide that, or at least should have decided that. A veto is not up for debate in in the respect that it, it is it is in the Constitution. It is something that both parties um, recognize. And um, but it, to his point, Congress is putting forth a law that they feel that, um, or excuse me, a bill that should be signed into law. And the president is technically obstructing them saying, no, it is not. Um, it is not a law uh, until I say it's a law and I'm going to veto, um, your idea that this should be a law. Uh, but certainly the president in that instance is not, Obstructing them from doing their job. Their job is to craft the bill, and his job is to either sign it or veto it. Um, but it, it does um, it does engender some thought there. Um, right now, we, we're at a um, we're at an impasse here. Um, well, not an impasse, but a a a, um, a question among Republicans, conservatives, and people that aren't either of those. Um, what does the um, Senate do? And uh, again, Mr. Producer was uh, going back and forth with his family and friends, um, one of which who thought impeachment was removal. And uh, we have to understand something. This doesn't happen in our country very often. And um, I, I'm very, very fearful that since it happened so easily in 12 weeks on trumped up charges, um, just because uh, one party had a majority over the other, I my fear is that it probably will at least be attempted with some degree of regularity, and it really should not be. Um, it, it is something that our founders did not want us to wade into lightly. But the impeachment, uh, which starts in the House, is is simply for, for simple terms, leveling of a charge. It is an accusation that, um, that they have leveled against the president. And uh, the president certainly isn't removed from office now, but the decision to um, dismiss the charge, which we'll go into in a minute, or um, affirm that charge or that accusation and indeed remove a president from office is the um, is the sole responsibility of the United States Senate. So that is the difference. Um, president Trump is not removed. He is simply impeached. And I don't mean to use the word simply. But that is uh, where we are right now. So you have conservatives that are saying, like, Hell yeah, man, we got to have a trial and we got to call the Bidens, Obama, Clinton, Schiff, Nadler, Pelosi, the whistleblower. Let it fly, baby. And um, and I see some merit in that. I registered to be a Republican the first time in 1986, and in 1998... My wheels started turning that I wanted to leave the Republican Party because they were a bunch of cheese weenies. And when Bill Clinton was rightly um, and justly impeached and should have been removed from office, the Senate uh, had a show trial. There were three witnesses. Um, they couldn't even keep the 55 Republicans together. Three of them, I believe, defected, one of which our uh, fearless leader here in the state of Pennsylvania, Arlen Spector. And they didn't get to sixty-six at all. They they actually regressed in numbers and went back to fifty-two. And I said, "This this is so embarrassing that just because you don't have numbers, and under the guise of let's not put the country through this, if you got a case, you got a case. Let's have some witnesses. Let's get this thing rocking and rolling." And when when the Republicans kind of folded up and said, "You know, here's three token witnesses. Let's take a simple vote. Let's get out of here." my wheels started really turning. that. I, I don't want to be a part of this because th- that's when I, I started to realize that Republicans are basically democrat light. It took quite a while because it was an emotional thing to pull the trigger on it. But um, nine years later, I believe in 2007, I said, I'm done with this crap and I am um, a registered independent. But here we go again. Um, the thought process is call all these guys. Uh, I, now, I, I do not think they're compelled to testify, they can certainly decline, but at least on the record, they are on the record as declining. Um, the notion is put the fear of God in some of these people, um, and, and dare them to get up on the stand and lie under oath. But, you know, I I don't know if this is kind of sad, but I, I don't know if lying under oath really matters to a lot of these people. Um, if, if you could do this to president Trump in 12 weeks, you know, um, I don't think lying under oath is is anything to be that scared of, but um, that's just me. So I, there's a part of me that would love to see this, but the conventional wisdom from a political standpoint is if you start doing that and if you're the better party and you become deferential to the minority party in the Senate, which is the Democrats, then they can start um, demanding that people... Um, testify that are in Donald Trump's orb. And we see how these things go and they don't end. And um, the conventional wisdom here is that uh, Speaker McConnell is going to quickly um, and and forthrightly dismiss this and blow this thing up before it even gets started. Um, so the scalps and the hides that uh, rabid conservatives may want to see are probably not going to be procured, and it may take a a um, a turn that is very much um, cleaner and and surgical and antiseptic, but better for Donald Trump in the long run. I I, I guess I read the same news reports you do that Donald Trump wants to be vindicated and wants to get this thing going in the Senate, and have it um have a trial. But that's just not how the Senate works. They're slow, they're deliberate, they're old, um <laughs> they um they uh they gotta laugh. Um and and that's probably not how it's gonna go down. And um will our friends on the left go apoplectic when this thing is summarily dismissed? Yeah, um they will. But the Republicans will just have to say to the Democrats the same thing the Democrats in the House have said to the Republicans. We got numbers. Shut up. Sit down. This is the way it's going to go. And so if I was a betting man, and I'm not, and a good procrast- uh, prognosticator, and I'm not, but if I had to, I said I, I would probably think it's going to go the way of um, a very quick dismissal of all the charges, and it will be over, and there's really nothing Chuck Schumer or anybody could do about it. You're going to see some blah, 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 a lot of blowback from pundits, reporters, politicians, but that'll get replaced by something else in a few weeks. And and then Donald Trump will get down to the business of doing what Donald Trump does best. Um, He did it the other night in Michigan. He did it at Hershey. He goes all over the place in these battleground states, and he just kicks it. And, um, his, uh, rabid base loves him. And that's probably the dust is going to settle on this thing in a couple of weeks. And that's probably where we're going to be at, um, in January. So that is my two cents. Um, hope I did justice to the whole impeachment thing. It's very hard to get your head and arms and everything around. And, um, you know, I'll just end it with this. It was just a very, very sad day for the United States of America. And, um, I just hope uh, the truth prevails uh, as, as um, you know, time goes on. Uh, but uh, I'll leave you with this. Elections do indeed mean things. Um, they really do. And numbers, uh, if you got numbers, you can do some things for the good and you can do some things for the bad. So numbers really mean things and elections mean things. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Have a great day.